as much as you want to, to look at something and go, oh, that's never going to work, or we don't need to do that, or that just seems like, you know, extra, extra that we don't necessarily need. You always have to go and experiment with that next thing and try to figure out where you can incorporate it. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Mark Hill, Chief Revenue Officer at Waterfield Energy. How's it going, Mark? Going very good. Thank you. Good. Before getting into it, I wanted to ask everyone, as usual, please support the show by leaving a review and I'll read it on the air. So now that that's done, Mark, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Oh, great. Well, it was, I guess I would say I was actually in the oil and gas industry probably for a number of years before I knew I was in the oil and gas industry. What, how, what so, does that mean? <laughs> second job, probably my second job out of school, I decided uh, with a friend that we lived in, in Orlando, Florida at the time. And, you know, we were too young and fun to be stuck in Orlando. So we came up with the great idea that we were going to move to Los Angeles, which oh. is kind of where young and fun people go, I guess. And, but we then realized we didn't really have enough money to make a cross country journey and go live in Los Angeles. So we decided that we needed to move somewhere and go make some money. My friend actually went to school at St. Ed's in Austin. Oh, really? And he said, you know, we could go to Texas and we could move there, you know, booming industry, things are going well. And this is, you know, around 1990. And I said, well, I don't, I'm a Yankee, I'm from Delaware. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know much about Texas where would we go? And he said, well, we could go to Austin. It's a really cool town. And I said, well, sounds kind of small. What are the big cities in Texas? And he said, well, there's Dallas and there's Houston. And I said, well, which one is closer to the beach? And he said, Houston. And that was the entirety of the decision-making process. <laughs> and then in 1991, I ended up in Houston, Texas. And little did you know how crap the beach is. <laughs> I had no idea. I just thought like on the brochure of Texas that the, the beaches were beautiful. And uh, as it turns out, the beach was Galveston. And I can probably count on probably two hands the number of times that I've been there since then. Yeah, the armpit of the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. That's what yep. they call it. So I landed here and literally within days had my first job, right? I was a technology person Okay. and I uh, hooked up with a couple of recruiters and, you know, magic happened. And my very first job, I was at Tenneco, uh -huh. which was, you know, still in existence back then, right. Tenneco gas pipeline and uh, working on a FERC form one type of software. Uh -huh. really, Explain what that means. It was basically the gas transit. Okay. Uh, oh, for reporting. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 okay. So went to work for Tenneco. That job lasted for a little while, you know, months because I was a contractor. Yeah. And then the next job came along and I went to work at Shell also as I think I've heard a of them, yeah. contractor. That's right. <laughs> and then that worked, that lasted for a little while. And then my next contract job was at Texaco. So, Texaco. so the jobs just kind of kept coming in different, not really putting it together at that point in my life that this was an industry. 
Fast forward, I get through kind of the early part of the 90s and into the late 90s, and uh, I took a job at Dynagy. Dynagy is a large independent power producer. Okay. And at the time, right, actually, they were natural gas clearinghouse before they became Dynagy. Okay. They rebranded there at the end of the 90s. Yeah, that makes sense. And we were in some go-go years, right? It was the, it was the beginning of energy trading. It was, I always think we, we were making more money than we knew what to do with. It was really good, fast growth type of times. And I looked up probably in 1996 or 97, and I realized I'm in an industry, right? It's not, yeah. just, a, it's not just a job. All of my jobs have been related. All of them have come because of the network that I have. And here I was, you know, six or seven years into my journey in Houston, Texas, and I'm part of the energy business. And I'm happy to say that today... Right, all of those people that I met in the '90s, all those people that I came across in the 2000s, very much continue to be part of your network and your business life. And you know, it's a that it, it's a great industry to find yourself to be part of. It's like a really huge family, is it what is. it is. It is excellent. So obviously, you didn't make it to LA. We, I never left. <laughs> so I am still in Houston, Texas, and been here ever since. What about your friend? Did he make it? Nope. He is still here and he's <laughs> one, still one of my best friends. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. It's funny how things work it, out. It, it's amazing. And I would have, you know, Houston was never on my radar and certainly the energy business, right? Wasn't right. necessarily on my radar. Well, right. Florida. I mean, and, come on. And, you know, but, but it is what is here. And, you know, when you find yourself kind of in the middle of it, I've taken full advantage of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it gives Houston a certain base level. And I know it's a very diverse city now, and we have a lot of different industries that are in the city, but it always gives it that kind of base of operations, right? The, right. the base of financial operations, jobs, technology, all of that type of stuff that, that keeps the city gone. Right. So what are some of those challenges you faced? I mean, you got here, you didn't leave. So you must have faced something. Well, we went through a couple, you know, certainly there were, there have been my shared downturns, yeah. right? So Dynagy was a co-opetition or, you know, another trading organization during the Enron era. Yeah. So, you know, I was at Dynagy during those, you know, during those rough days, right? When, when the industry took its downturn and people were standing on corners with boxes and, you know, looking around and wondering, what does this mean to a career, right? People are- Right. It, it, it's scary. It, very scary, right? Very scary. It was interesting during that time I was at Dynagy, you know, certainly we were smaller or whatever, you know, there, but we were always kind of looking at them from a technology and capability standpoint. Right. And so if there was some stalking horse out there, mm -hmm. it was during those days, it was Enron, right? Yeah. And you were trying to figure out how to make sure you had technology that kept pace and you had capability and people and all that type of stuff that kept pace. Like our, our pride, our proudest hour, and I will say it was probably about an hour, is when it was going down, it was pretty funny time. And I think uh, our CEO at the time, Chuck Watson, actually had a press conference one day, one morning, and announced that we were buying the Enron assets or some number of the Enron assets assets or something like that. Right? Oh, Thing my. That, and I think he was being you know, a good businessman and a good citizen and trying to figure out how to stop the bleeding. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I think by you know, three or four o'clock that afternoon, 
the deal was off. I right? guess it was just, so. It, you just couldn't stop the blade from falling, you know, from as good hearted or as good intentioned as it was. Right. That's a very difficult type of situation to climb out of. And it makes you wonder about not just that, but the industry. Yeah. That right? I couldn't even fathom right. being in that position. Goodness. Right, right. Right. But good times, good go-go times. And I think that the good times and the, the advantages of the industry always made up for any sort of risk or negative times in the industry. So kind of balanced very, out. Very much balanced out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about your current role. So currently I am with Waterfield Energy. Uh, Waterfield Energy is a software provider providing midstream transportation and upstream accounting software okay. for, for producers, for midstream operators, for processors. Okay. Yeah, so people can get paid on their royalties and people all. get paid on their royalties. They can understand, you know, kind of costs and and supply that's going into their plants, their pipelines, and manage all of those different activities. Right. Essentially, we have all of the software that from the time the commodity comes out of the well all the way down to the to the tailgate of the plant. Gotcha. So Waterfield's a you know kind of an up and comer in the industry, right? In an industry that's that's really run by some larger, more mature organizations that have largely been built by acquisition, right? There's right. A, a lot of different companies have kind of rolled up and come together. Waterfield's differentiator or uniqueness is that it's been built organically from the ground up. So all of that software, all of that technology out from, you know, right under the same code base, which really gives the customers a different alternative than going and trying to piece things together themselves. All of a sudden, there's a provider out there who can do everything all up in one system, one look and feel, make their make it easier for their users. Interesting, interesting. So we have a lot of young people that tune in and kind of explain what a chief revenue officer is. Yeah. So you know, it, it's a as these software companies come together, right? And and certainly there's been a maturing in the software business first with Silicon Valley, yeah, and then ultimately that translates down here to what we do in the energy software space. Right. So there's been more of a focus and more of an understanding. There's a lot of different pieces that come into growing sales of an organization. Right. So if you go back 10 or 15 years, it was typically you had a head of sales and then separately, you had a group that did marketing and then separately, you had a group that kind of looked after the future and tried to figure out where the product was going. Ultimately, what we figured out in the science of software is all of those things have to work cohesively together. They have to come together under one umbrella, make sure they're operating at the same pace. And then organizations have started to realize as important as the gentleman that counts the money or the person that counts the money being the CFO or the technology guy, the CTO or the, you know, the CEO and however you want to think about that role, right. it's just as important to make sure someone is outward facing, making sure they're the advocate for the customer in the market and really helping the customer understand or making, helping the company understand what's going on and how to grow. Good. So that's what I do. I try to bring all of those capabilities together in, you know, one common methodology and one common thought process so that we're all working together as an organization to best serve the customers and grow the organization. Excellent. Excellent. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different things that kind of came into play and that I think about a lot as I, I think about how to grow my own career. But I think the number one thing that kept me going and certainly being a technologist, but also being a business person, understanding the technology business as well as the oil and gas business, it is not to be scared of change. 
Yeah. Right. Change is, you know, there, there's such great examples of not just young people, but later career people who embrace and roll with change that this is really what continues to remake and re-enable your career. Right. right. We, we just lost the visionary was T Boone Pickens, right. was, yeah. uh, uh, we actually share an office in our Dallas office with the, oh, the wow. Pickens organization up there and the pretty, pretty interesting. And I always kind of watched him and even as he progressed later in life and saw more of the market that was out there and kind of, you know, was as an oil man, an oil man as one could be, he always embraced change, yeah. right? What was the next new technology and how are we gonna bring that forward? So I think about that a lot and make sure that as much as you want to, to look at something and go, oh, that's never gonna work or we don't need to do that or that just seems like you know extra, extra that we don't necessarily need, you always have to go and experiment with that next thing and try to figure out where you can incorporate it. Yeah, because at some point you become obsolete if you're not keeping up with the times, you right? Know, it, it, and it's epidemic in the technology organiz- in the technology business. Yeah, right? especially because that changes daily. It changes daily. And, and I don't mean just technology and computer technologies, but right, the adoption of new technologies across the oil and gas business has really reinvented the whole industry time and time again. Right. Right. So I I always say, you know, there are no victims in the boardroom. And what that really means to me is the person who can walk into the boardroom or walk into their organization and say, hey, here's the new idea. Here's where we're going to go with that great new idea and what we're going to do with it. That's probably most likely the person in the organization that's going to prosper. Excellent. That's really good. What book would you say influenced you the most? Yeah, you know, as a salesperson, you know, as a sales organization, really what I try to think about is how we influence different groups of people to make sure that they're they're seeing things according to the perspective that we're hoping they see things. So Malcolm Gladwell did a book called The Tipping Point that really brought the whole idea of epidemics and how epidemics are spread to the idea of business change. And, you know, it's, it's always been kind of a book that I've gone back to to think about how you influence and how you build momentum in an organization. And it doesn't happen in a linear fashion that all of a sudden just one day you tell one person and they tell one person that gets you to a million people. Ultimately, you have to tell the right people at the right time who happen to be influencing at a broader level. And then all of a sudden, one becomes 10 and 10 becomes 100 and 100 becomes 1,000. And much of that book and his concepts in that book as he's taken them out of this you know, very mature science around epidemics and applied them to business concepts hold very true. If you can identify the different types of personalities out there who are you know, more prone to spread your message for you, you can hone in on them and then you can start to build their perspective and their point of view or help them understand it, then that's just going to benefit your brand, your company, your product, or the idea that you're trying to get, get across. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, influencer, that's a big buzzword these days, it, you, know? you know, and it's not new, right? No. It's it, it, we're, we're making much better use of it. I think in, yeah. in social media and certainly in the consumer world, and we're really starting to understand how to make use of it in the business world. And I'm really hopeful that we start to make use of it more in the energy world, right? Because we have a lot of buried, great, smart talent in our industry. Absolutely. That really, sometimes I, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing to hand a couple of them a megaphone and say, tell us what you know. 
Yeah. And in that way, then all of a sudden we all get better and we can all kind of bring those ideas forward faster. Yeah. Collaborate. Yep. Excellent. What's your most used business tool? Well, again, back to trying new things. I'm always open, you know, so, so I think one thing that's happened in the business or in the software world over the course of the last five, seven, 10 years is the number of new cloud tools that are available to us for collaboration, for communication, for, you know, point type solutions, and you can spin them up and spin them down very quickly so that they can, so that you can apply them in certain situations. Right. So I'm always trying the latest, greatest, newest cloud tool, right? So, you know, a great example, I'm using a tool right now for collaboration amongst teams called Basecamp. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. A great tool, right? Built for purpose. And if you want to spin up and spin down small teams, and in my world, that means small marketing teams or small pursuit teams that are working on a particular opportunity or looking at a particular event or something like that, you can spin it up. You have all of the collaboration capabilities you might need, or you might see elsewhere through email and through SharePoint and through shared drives, but it's all up under one easy to use umbrella. Hmm. So then for virtually, you know, for very little cost, you can have all these collaboration tools. It's fit for purpose. And then, you know, when you're done with it, you don't use it and you move on to something else. Yeah. So, and it also crosses organizations. So a lot of times these collaboration tools are very internal to organizations. And what I like to be able to do is collaborate with my partners and with my customers. And this provides, you know, it's a great base of operations. I was going to have to say it's got to be super secure. It, it's it's secure, right? We're, we're comfortable that it's secure enough, right? I'm, I think we have great secrets, but they're probably not state <laughs> secrets. Um, but it, it's secure, it's safe, and, you know, it, it, and, and people get great function out of it. So I'm always kind of looking for that next tool like that. At the end of the day, too, right, we're, we're very focused on numbers and we're very focused on analysis and understanding the number behind the number and the question behind the question. So uh, we're, we're constantly in the Excel world, right? Yeah. That seems to be, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm not doing something new and cool, the other half of my day is spent in Excel. Yeah. And trying to understand what trends are there and, you know, where, where we're spending our money and, you know, all of those types of things. Yeah, I used to use that all the time. I used to use that for daily reports when I used to do reporting. So, you know, that a lot of the software industry, not just in the software that I do, but in other verticals also, there's a, constantly a conversation that is, and how do we get rid of Excel out of organizations <laughs> and how do we replace Excel? And I'm like, you know, we've been talking about this for 20 years. It's not going away. It's not going away. <laughs> Maybe we just need to figure out how to, how to live alongside of it. Yeah, I think it's functional and useful. So, yeah. 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 Who's your most respected competitor? Yeah, very good question. You know, so we are an industry with a few very large behemoths, right? That that have a good amount of market share, and you know, certainly the biggest, right, is is SAP, and they cover a lot of the space and some of our very largest customers. So on one side, I would say that they they're a very interesting competitor, right? Although they are of the size that they are, they still operate very effectively, very efficiently, and very personally with their customers. So their customers, their partner network all believe in them. So so that's one end of the spectrum for sure. But I'll tell you, you know, we talked about hard times in the industry and we recently had a downturn just a, a couple of years ago. And I think the positive thing out of that downturn, at least on the technology side of the business, is it spurred a lot of innovation. 
So in fact, I worry less about our large competitors and I think more about those competitors that I don't see every day and I don't know just yet because they had the advantage of bringing new technology to the, to the table and then really start to solve business problems in a different way. Especially when companies are running lean. When companies are running lean, right, back to what we're doing with cloud technology around collaboration and communication, yeah. those same types of companies, right? We, we, we had a big transition in technology when we got the cloud just, you know, in the last four, seven years, right? Yeah. I know that I would say probably four or five years ago, I'd walk into a CIO's office and start talking about cloud and they would say, heck no, don't want it. Talk to you later. Let me know. Let me know what you want to talk about next. And I will tell you that when I walk in today, they're please, let's talk about the cloud. How do you fit? Where does where does that where does that take us? So like that technology, it's just an enabling technology. There's a ton of competitors out there that are coming up that are taking advantage of these new agile technologies so that they can help people really do more with less. I think it's our job, right, as a as a growing organization to make sure we identify them early yeah. and include them, right? And and try to figure out how we leverage their technology either through partnership or or you know, who knows, acquisition or something like that. Right. But at the very least, right, there that's where innovation happens is in those very small startups that are born of some sort of fire. Yeah, and startups are always exciting. Yep. Yep. What's your most important lesson learned? Well, I think we started with the with the whole, you know, how I came into this industry and I I am reminded of this lesson on almost a weekly basis is we're a small industry, right? And I've I've had a number of jobs over those years and probably love some people at those jobs and love some others less at some of those jobs. But net net, that network stays with you. Mm-hmm. So the folks that you're kind to and help and build their career and try to figure out how to be part of their future success, that all comes back to you 10 times years down the road. So I, my, my number one lesson is I try to think about the people that are around me and I think about where they wanna go and what they wanna do. And I try to build them individually and then make sure that I'm caring and feeding, caring for and feeding my network and making sure that those people, maybe that I haven't seen in five years or 10 years, that you know, we're still connected in some way. Cool. Why is your role important to the future of oil and gas? So here's what's really happened in software over the course of probably just the last 10 years, right? Software has had to decide how it becomes a partner with these organizations, right? So there's really a, a need across the industry to make sure that on the inside of the software organization, that there is someone at the table that's pounding the table to say, hey, this is where the customer is going, what they need from us, and why they, why they need that in order to be successful. On the customer side, they need to know that there is someone out there who is understanding their business, understanding what's important to them, and then really trying to help shape the technology. It's not their job to know the technology, right? Yeah. It's their job to know their business. Right. And it's really our job in on this side of, or my side of the table to make sure that we're, we're helping them understand where this accelerates their business, where it accelerates their role, where it makes them more efficient, more effective, right? So in oil and gas, we have this constant downward pressure, this constant pressure on efficiency, yes. on being more effective with what we have. And I really see my job as an interpreter 
to help those businesses understand where they can be more efficient and more effective. Yeah. And it, it's critical, right? Because they need the software. Our volumes are huge. Our companies are large. There's a lot of people that are involved in any given business process or business transaction. And if I can help interpret for them how best to use this to get to that end goal, then I think I've been successful. Good. Good answer. What's your favorite podcast? Favorite podcast. So I'm relatively new to understanding all the podcasts that are out there. And in fact, I just, I would say probably about six months ago, really started paying attention because I think it's a new, interesting medium to get out to to all the people, right? This yeah. is what people are listening to and paying attention to. So probably not telling you anything you don't know. You're, <laughs> you're well ahead of me on this. I'm behind, right? I'm just learning. <laughs> I, you know, I have to say, so I met the gentleman from the PBE, the Permian Basin Experience. Have you heard of I this podcast yet? So again, very, what I like about the, the whole idea of a podcast, it can be as specific or as general, yep. and you can tune in and go find content that is as specific or as general what you're looking for as what you're looking for. So the Permian Basin folks, and, and I met them at a trade show probably about three or four or five months ago, and I, I had just gone through a little bit of, I guess this is the podcast, the big name out there. I just gone through a couple of uh, the Joe Rogan podcasts. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's my favorite podcast. There you go. This is this is. I, I didn't know all that, right? And somehow I stumbled across this, and I thought, man, that that's kind of cool, right? There's a ton of fun, but then a ton of interesting things that are going on within that podcast. And yeah. and so I met those gentlemen from that podcast at this trade show. And we're just sitting around talking at the end of the day, unrelated to the podcast. We had some mutual friends, some mutual contacts. And I said, God, I love this podcast, this, this Joe Rogan thing. You get all this excitement and you know, you got this. And they're like, well, that's what we're doing. But we're doing it all around the Permian Basin and the science associated with it. I'm like, well, if you can make that interesting, right. I, don't, I don't know how much uh, Irish whiskey you need to make that interesting, <laughs> but yeah, I support you if that's what you're going to do. Net, net. I then listened to them a couple times. We hosted them in, you know, in a in a kind of a partnership type of environment. And yeah, that's what they were doing. Taking very specific content, adding a ton of kind of interesting aspects to it. And you know, small, small listenership, but a, a relative listenership to that particular subject. Right. So just who kind of made an impression on me. I don't know, favorite from a content standpoint, but certainly interesting. Yeah. from a what you can do with the with the the whole podcast thing. Well, if you don't know, we actually on the Oil & Gas Global Network have a Permian Perspective podcast oh, host, hosted by Chris Escamilla. Excellent. Yeah, so you should check that one out too. I will check that one out too. Yeah, yeah, learning all kinds of stuff today, uh, aren't you? I, like I said, I'm new to the podcast world, but I'm loving it. Good, good, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Waterfield, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, the easiest way is Waterfield Energy Software. And they can hit our website anytime and, and get in contact with us. But also, please, you know, don't hesitate for a second to link in with me. And I'd be very happy to tell you all about our company, our journey products, or, you know, whatever else, whatever else we uh, need to share. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, I'll put all the uh, links in the show notes so people can click them as necessary. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. 
OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11:30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic: Are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.